0: Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Thank you, and welcome to another episode of Risk Never Sleeps podcast. I'm Ed Gaudet, I'm your host, and today I am joined by my good friend, Lucia Malika Stacy. Did I get that right? Did I pronounce Yes, that? you did. That's okay. pretty
1: good, actually. Perfect.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it'd be tough to say good friend and not be able to pronounce your name.
1: Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent agree. Well, thanks for having me. Good oh, to be here.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So maybe give our listeners just a little bit of background on your current role, your current job, what you've been up to over the last couple of years.
1: Happy to. So I am currently the VP and Global Resident Chief Information Security Officer at Proofpoint, which is a leading cybersecurity and compliance company. In my current role, I have the privilege of leading a team of peers, a team of CISOs, and really focusing on bringing uh, value-add advisory services to our CISO community, to first and foremost, of course, our CISO customers, but just broadly, the bigger cybersecurity. Community. Okay, great.
0: And how did you get into cyber and how did you get into healthcare cyber?
1: So, sort of to set the stage a little bit, in my previous role, I served, and it's just the same with my entire team. We all served as chief information security officer, and that was the same for me. I was chief information security officer and chief privacy officer. Now, I've had the privilege of building an extensive technical and business experience through various different roles running IT governance and strategy and cyber risk and compliance and corporate and product security and privacy and IT infrastructure, you name it. And through my journey, I happen to have both a legal and a technical background that I think is very unique to the industry or to the CISO role in particular. And through that, through that legal lens, as well as security and running product, you name it, I've worked for a number of technology companies that provided services or technology services to the healthcare industry. So being a business associate, through that, over time, I became the HIPAA compliance officer. Oh, and lucky I spend, you. <laughs> Yeah, right. I spent quite a bit of time diving in into the HIPAA requirements, mm. but also how do I protect the data, right? So through whether it was telehealth or various different services over time, how do I hone in into protecting the health information? What are the requirements for a business associate? And making sure that I build in the right policies, procedures, training necessary as possible part of those programs and educating the user community and employees for the particular organizations on how to adequately protect that data. So those sort of earlier, maybe Gosh, I don't even know how many years ago. That's been a, it's been some time. That was sort of my entry point into healthcare. I think over time, as I've taken on this responsibility, a couple of different organizations, I got deeper and in, deeper into patient safety, care delivery, the challenges associated with it. We always hone it in into third party risk, and and of course, as a business associate, that's always a the risk associated with the services that healthcare providers have to employ, etc which really brought me to healthcare and continue to be very involved in the industry today.
0: You are, and let's talk about the work you do outside of Proofpoint, so specifically in support of the 405D. And there's some listeners I'm sure that don't know what the 405D is. And so how would you describe the value of the health industry, cybersecurity practices, documentation, and a set of recognized security practices that are made available through the 405D.
1: So working as part of the board of IT, really volunteering in our spare time, as you and I have done for many, many years now, as we know, the cyber threats to all of us, but very specific to healthcare organization, are really core in terms of placing patient health, patient care and delivery and patient safety at the core of everything we do, right? Threat actors are continuing to innovate, they're continuing to employ new new tactics. And it's important for all of us, but more so for healthcare organization, to stay at the forefront of a lot of the tactics and techniques and the various different tools that threat actors are leveraging to disrupt care delivery and impact healthcare organization. But really a lot of this has to do, of course, with the value of personal health information That's, I think at the, stays at the center of what threat actors are after, right? So I think it's imperative for all of the healthcare organization to understand those, but also understand what are the top risks to the organization? How are they being attacked? How are they being targeted? What are the right adaptive controls that they have to implement to constantly try to stay ahead of what's happening in the ever-changing threat landscape, as you and I both know, right? So through the lens of 405D, and for those of you that are not accustomed to 405D, is really under the umbrella of the Cybersecurity Act of 2015. There's a section named 405D where the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has convened the CSA 405D task group to really enhance those cybersecurity and align industry approaches by developing this set of voluntarily consensus-based and or industry-led guidance, right, methodology best practices, recipe, cookbook, you name it, and bring a lot of that knowledge to you. So you can take those very practitioner guide or what we'd love to call it recipe Mm -hmm. books, right? On terms of cyber risk and be able to implement them in your organization. So part of that effort, super excited. There'll be some cool new content coming up hopefully soon. Ed and I've been working on this for quite some time. We have been. And I am one of the co-leads under the bigger umbrella of the CSA 405D task group, focusing on just a very small portion of those cybersecurity best practices.
0: Great. Well, so obviously your customers rely on you, your organization relies on you, the public-private partnership of the 405D relies on you. What keeps you up at night?
1: (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say quite the full 405D, realize, because there are a number of folks, I'm sure. You know, I would be remiss if I don't mention the amazing work that Eric Decker has done to lead us, as well as Julie. So, so many people have been, and not to mention yourself as well from the beginning, but so, so many people have been involved in this. I think we have, what, over, I don't even know exact, 150, 200 cybersecurity and healthcare experts
0: yeah, I think with the Greater Health Sector Coordinating Council, it's probably closer to like seven hundred, eight hundred now. So it's uh, so it takes a village. That's I, you know, no question. And
1: just a small uh, <laughs> a small portion of the total story. But for me, I think look, our jobs. Never end, right? As a security leader, it's upon us to stay ahead of understanding the business risk organization and how cybersecurity threats are impacting the business risk broadly. More than that is making sure that your team is functioning in all cylinders, that you have the right resources. And it's not if, it's when. One of us will be attacked is how are we acting when that happens? Do we have the right defense mechanism in place? Is our team resilient and able to respond when that happened? Or is my team overworked and stressed out and they're not able to to think through the, the intricacy and nuances of any particular incident? But really, the bigger piece is what you don't know. We can't protect what we don't know, which is why so often, Tom, and I talk about this quite a bit, is visibility is key, right? Understanding what you have is a huge step forward into formulating your approach to mitigating that risk, probably. Mm -hmm. What you don't know, it's what I think oftentimes gets us in trouble, Mm -hmm. which is why there are so many challenges that, you know, broadly in the industry that we have not been able to solve for. One that comes to mind right away, we just mentioned, is supply chain. And understanding, obviously, third-party supply is important. But further than that, going to fourth, fifth, sixth-party supplier and where that risk can come from that you don't always have your visibility into those environments that I think are some of the bigger challenges.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I often say transparency is the enemy of risk. If we have full transparency, we have a better shot at combating where the next risk is going to come. Whether we understand it or not, we're much more agile as well as an organization and can adapt. And that point about recovery is so spot on. It's like half of the job is preparing and half of the job is being able to recover from an attack when it happens. So really spot on. It's been an interesting year, 2022, coming out of the pandemic. What are you most proud of over the past year, either personally, professionally, or both?
1: I would say professionally is, is really being able to, so I've published a couple of reports. One of them was around Voice of the CISO, and this was the second annual. We started doing that during the pandemic as a way to really understand what all of us are grappling with around the globe. So we're able to publish the second annual. But the bigger one, I think, is the second report it was a compendium to the first one is focusing on board of directors and their understanding of cybersecurity risk. As you and I talk about quite a bit, right, there continues to be a gap between boards and CISOs. While I think boards understand that cybersecurity is important, it matters. I think that meeting of the mind between board members and security leaders is not always there. And what we always knew anecdotally, it was very apparent in seeing that data. So taking a step was really, I think, the first step in towards trying to bridge that board CISO relationship and communication and kind of same as cyber risk, right, starts out with data and visibility and understanding what those challenges are. So I think being able to put that together and publish that in the latter part or last year was really phenomenal in terms of having, okay, we have a problem. How can we start addressing this and trying to close the gap? Well, I think we have long ways ahead, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's a beginning towards hopefully a stronger partnership in
0: the future. Absolutely agree. All right. So let's turn to the person behind the protection of patient safety. Outside of your day job, outside of cyber, what are you most passionate about? What do you love to do?
1: Oh, gosh. So, you know, the security and law are my two passions and I love them both. But when I don't do that, I love spending time with my family. My husband, who is also a technology and cybersecurity, is my best friend. And I think we're fortunate to be raising a kind and brilliant son who's 11 going on 18, <laughs> to say the least. And <laughs> they all surprised. are these days. <laughs> exactly. And we're surrounded by the unconditional love of two crazy, amazing dogs. They're in the middle of our life at all times. But when we're not just home spending time together. I think we all love playing tennis and yeah. golf in the yeah. summer and skiing for me, snowboarding for the boys in the winter. So yeah. I think between the various different sporting activity and business travel, oh, we all love travel as well. So whenever if I'm traveling, it's either for business or pleasure, but we prioritize at least two vacations a year whether they're just small, three, four days or extended vacation every year. I am one of those people that I, and I know it right or wrong. I give 150% of myself, but I need that, that break. And when I don't take that break, I definitely will feel it. And I think last year, I probably had a little shorter break than I would have liked. And I definitely felt that towards the latter part of the year. So I really want to focus. One of my personal goals for 2023 is to really try to focus on resilience, taking the downtime, right? I can't I can't be an effective leader if I'm not true to myself and I'm not able to pause and restore and bring that balance every day to work. So I'll tell you how I do it at the end of the year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so needed, especially, I think, certainly for me, I'll be in Aruba next month. So I'm looking forward to that downtime. But I just need to to sit and read a book and unplug, quite frankly, because like you, I give 150% and it's so tough to unplug. But once I do, you know, like, I just want to do it for like 10 days. (laughs) Just give me 10 days. That's awesome. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? I know that's
1: a tough one. Yeah, I would say believing yourself mm-hmm. and listening to your instinct. I think way too often we overthink everything. We have that little voice. At least I feel like I do. I have that God feeling that's telling me like, you need to do this. But then I start to overanalyze it or Mm overthinking. And ultimately, I feel like every time never failed. When I did not listen to my instinct, it proved that I made the wrong choice. With something small, regardless, definitely try to listen to what your instinct tells you.
0: Mm -hmm. Excellent. Similarly, I always find when I go against my instinct, my gut, often wrong, but never in doubt. (laughs) Because this is the... Risk Never Sleeps podcast. I have to ask this question. What is the riskiest thing you've ever done?
1: Well, so you asked, it's interesting because you <laughs> asked the question about what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Mm. So I think I have a few that top the list, but which is interesting because I'm absolutely very risk averse in general. but. I think probably the riskiest thing I've ever done. I moved halfway around the world in my early twenties, the beginning of my career. And interesting enough, my first role, so I moved from, I'm originally from Romania. So I moved from Bucharest, Romania to the Bay area, which was a big move Mm -hmm. when you're in your early twenties. And I worked for Wells Fargo Bank doing Y2K compliance as my first official technical role. What were you, like, I know, 11 I years I just old? dated myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I just dated myself on that one. But I'll say that was by far the riskiest move. Now, at the top of the list is also jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. Ah, um,
0: absolutely. <laughs>
1: and going to get my dive certification besides the fact that I had a water phobia at the time. So I was determined oh, oh. to overcome commit mm. and somehow I made it I got my dive certification and I can say been dead done that check the box but I was petrified throughout the entire time
0: <laughs> did you swim with sharks
1: I did except they're just nurse sharks so, but uh, at the time I was so a little uh, bit nervous I did swim <laughs> they're with sharks, sharks. there's still uh. sharks
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic all right well that's really helpful any last comments or thoughts this has been fantastic
1: I would just say, if you ever have the chance, check out, for those of you security leaders in the industry, as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm fortunate to lead a team of phenomenal peers. And last year, we launched a way called the CISA Hub, which is a place where every month we bring resources, content for various different topics. They are top of mind for the broader CISA community. So if you have a chance and or have any particular areas of interest you want to hear more about, you're looking for resources, check out the CISA Hub and you'll be surprised. There are quite a few amazing resources and interesting insights from the entire team. It's not just it, myself.
0: What's the URL for that?
1: It is proofpoint.com and I believe CISO hub. Oh, there you go. So it's it uh, uh, proofpoint.com slash us slash CISO hub.
0: Perfect. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for your service protecting our health systems, our health infrastructure, and overall patient safety and care delivery. And thanks to everyone for listening. This is Ed Gaudette with the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. And for those of you on the front lines protecting patients every day, remember to stay vigilant and Risk Never Sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudette. And until next time, stay vigilant because Risk Never Sleeps.